Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode number 31 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. That hasn't changed since the inception of the new uh, you know, new brand since poor Dean Guido had to leave uh, about 31 episodes ago. My good friend, he's busy raising his daughter now. That's what kept him away. But uh, I got a really awesome guest here today. So um, I really appreciate the fact that you guys tuned in because um, my friend Logan Dubay is here with us. And Logan is a master trainer under John Russin's PPSC, uh, also with the BC Personal Training Institute and several other organizations. I mean, if you want to mention any of those additionally, be my guest if I missed anything important. But uh, and we're going to talk a lot about this. But your career has really been built around educating other, other coaches. So welcome. It's great to have you. Yeah, thank you. It was, uh, it was really cool. I connected with you last year in, uh, in Edmonton. So fun to be back. And thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's exactly the origin. Uh, so I've been talking to John Russell and he wanted to have a PPSC here at Edmonton in you know late last year. And obviously, almost no one got in-person continuing education last year outside literally of, of PPSC people. So John was hoping uh, to set one up in here. And so he spent a lot of time talking you up and what a rock star you were. So I'm like, okay, cool. Awesome. And, and you certainly didn't disappoint. Everybody there was was loving it. And we were still able to have, you know, a small group, even despite the circumstances of last year. So that was awesome and, and fun. And one of my favorite things to do is to, you know, meet people through the industry, find out more about them. And it gives me opportunities to do cool stuff like this, like bring you on here and share you with even more people. So I guess the thing we're going to talk a lot about was, you know, your, your background in education. So let's see, how did you start on the path of educating other trainers in the industry? Yeah, I think this is, this is a really cool topic because I sort of what I had mentioned to you is um, I, I work with on a day-to-day basis, call it 200 plus trainers. So I, I work for an organization uh, or, a, or a, a group of gyms where part of my job is just supporting the sort of the 200 plus people in the field. And we know that education is a big part of building your career as a trainer. You start because you're passionate about fitness and you want to help people. And that's awesome. Like our whole industry is founded on something people really love. And that's really, really cool to be a part of. But there's a really big difference between being a great trainer or being a great athlete and helping somebody else achieve their goals. Um, and so when I, when I have trainers say to me like, yeah, you know, I'd really love to be an educator. You know, how did you get there? What does that look like? You know, I like to cover some of the things that, that I think are the, the different skill set because there's, there's a gap between the two. So in terms of how I've ended up where I am, I have to go, I have to go back pretty far. I got to be honest and say, when I was a young athlete, when I was a goalie, maybe I was 10, 11, 12, um, my coach or the, the, the technical director of the club that I played for um, had been a goalie and he wanted to do some training for that position because most coaches who were field players don't know what goalies need. So it was a really cool resource to have in the club. Um, and so he sort of approached my parents and said, hey, I'd like to help where I can. And I started just showing up to goalie clinics as his assistant. So the, the premise was you'd bring all the parents in that were coaches and, and they would bring the goalies from their team. And my coach would show them how to run drills. And then I was the person he was demoing the drills on. So I, I, was, a, I was a model. I didn't have anything to say. I just knew how to stand on the line and dive to the right, stand on the line and dive to the left. Um, and so I started off there. 
but I, I think he had a plan. I think he saw something that, that maybe was available down the line, which was, you know, uh, one of the things that I've learned is leaders build leaders. Like being a leader is awesome. And there's things you have to do and there's, there's ways that you can inspire and make decisions. And, and there's lots of great leaders out there, but, but if you lead in such a way that when you leave, everything falls apart behind you, that sucks. That's not really very good. So like great leaders build people who can come up behind them and carry on the mission or go off and establish their own. And so I think maybe he saw that, or I think that was part of the process. Um, and so I think, I think really what started me on this path was maybe being part of his legacy. And I didn't know I was, I didn't know that's maybe what I was being given the opportunity to do in the future. But I, I think that's really where it started. So I got to give a big shout out to him. And that's continued on in recent years. And as you're describing this process, I'm thinking immediately John Russin's team, because what has John done? Despite John's name and notoriety in the industry, he has really tried to take a big step back from being the instructor and instead has put people like yourself, like we've talked about Kevin Mullins and David Otey, and obviously Clifton Harsky is, is so important in this and the rest of that team. Uh, and again, John could take a big step back from everything and nothing falls apart. John could fuck off to, you know, the jungles of Africa for a year and everything would be fine. And that's also a broader thing with trainers and entrepreneurs and building fitness businesses. And it's, I'm probably going to bastardize a quote. I know it's a Martin Rooney quote at one point, but if you are a trainer and you're doing all the training and you can't leave your business without the business falling apart. You don't own a business, you own a job. And that's the truth. And shit, that's my world. I understand that. I accept that. But that's the world of a lot of trainers probably nodding their heads listening to this going, yeah, shit, I own a job. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I was a trainer for 16 years before I ever started learning how to manage payroll and, and learning how to onboard new trainer. Like I was a trainer and I did the job in lots of different ways for a long time. I worked for big clubs. I worked in a clinic. I had my own business. I ran a sports performance studio. I did strength and conditioning work with the university. Like I did my job and I loved it for a long time. And I think I was pulled away from that, like a little bit kicking and screaming. Cause I, I imagined like being able to do it for a long time to come. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, but I don't think that I would have enjoyed the job that I did as much as I did if I hadn't had great leaders. And if I hadn't been given opportunities to grow, the, the benefit of being a trainer now for God, 22 years is I've done almost 22 entirely different things in that time. I used to sort of joke around that like, oh, it's a new year. I have a new job, a new job title. I'm in a new club. I'm in a new company. I'm in a new city. So like there's been longevity in my career, but there's also been a ton of change and, and diversity and growth and learning curves and challenges. But that's one of the reasons why I stayed at that level for so long. So I think there's a ton of value in that. You can't replace the benefit of experience in your pursuit of success. So, you know, the, the pay your dues and, and show up and do the lowest level work type stuff has a ton, a ton, a ton of value. I'll, I'll never give that up. Um, but I mean, this is an industry that has nothing but opportunities. There are so many ways that you can work, have a job, be a leader, create a business, do what you do. Um, so sometimes it can be hard to manage because where exactly am I going to pick to dedicate my time, effort, and energy? 
And then there's a little bit of like the grass is always greener on the other side, but like, yo, it's kind of the same thing, no matter where you go and no matter what you do, you have to love fitness. You have to care about people and you have to be willing to work really hard and show up with all your heart and all your energy every damn day, regardless of what your job title is, regardless of exactly how you do the work. So, um, yeah, so there's, you know, there's a ton of value in just sort of getting into it from the ground floor, so to speak. And you mentioned within all that, the, the, the need for the hard work. We have a, you know, a generation of coaches who are seeing the internet as a way to fast track brand and notoriety. And I'm not quick to malign the way that social media works. I think there are a lot of really great people are in our industry who have done very well with social media. Anyone who's watched mine for the last year has seen, seen that work very, very well. And I'm trying to give people a bit of a blueprint to use it to their benefit. But I think it's still important that you have the backdrop of the experience. You can't skip those steps. And sooner or later, if you do somehow manage to blow up your social media and skip a lot of those steps, you're going to end up exposed for not having that knowledge and that experience. If you care about being someone with credibility and, and certainly respected, and I don't think those are poor ambitions. I think they're valuable things to, to work toward. Uh, I don't think in terms of status games, I think that's a bad way to look at the world. But if you want you know, respect and, and you want people to, over the long, long game, come and find you and work with you in whatever capacity you're working, you better have some substance behind all that sizzle online. So with the, the education stuff, let's take it even further. If you, like, there are going to be a lot of people listening who are probably dabbling in some type of education that goes beyond the coaching of the client online or in person. And probably a lot of people thinking about it or maybe imagining down the road. Would you endorse going in that direction? And what are the things that you would tell someone to work, work on or be wary of if they want to become a great educator? Awesome. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna set it up with a little bit of context here. I did I read and did the sort of workbook of the Strengths Finder 2.0 or Strengths 2.0. I'm I'm it's gonna annoy me that I don't remember the author, but it's like it's a business development book, um, and you answer these questions, and it tells you your score and it kind of gives you like, Hey, this is the type of person you are. And there's, there's these different categories. So when I did that, my top two were educator and influencer. And I want to be clear to say this was before <laughs> being a social media influencer was a thing. Okay. So like, that's not the, that's not what that word means, but educator influencer. And I remember being, I, I remember going, yeah, that makes sense. I get where that's coming from. I like that. Um, and so even as a trainer, even as a coach, even as an athlete, even as a team captain on my team, I just very naturally do those two things. So I'm really passionate about educating my clients, whether it's about a movement or about lifestyle choices or about program, whatever. I just am a natural educator. So that's a, that's a benefit as an educator to sort of have that naturally. Um, and then I'm, an, I'm also, I come up as an influencer and, and sort of some examples of what that means to me is uh, like when I was a freshman in university, I'm a freshman, like I'm a goalie. I happened to pick a school where I was going to play as a goalie my freshman year, which is kind of rare. I normally sit on the bench for at least a year. Um, so I'm a freshman, 
but I'm a goal being a freshman. You're supposed to like not say anything and like pay your dues and learn the culture from the ground up, but also being the goalie, you have to run the team from the back end of the field. So I ran the team from the back end of the field during the game. But then I also, I couldn't really help myself. We'd get into a huddle before the game and you'd do your little whatever cheer. And I couldn't help it. I would say stuff, right? So like the captain at the time, the senior at the time, her job is to lead the cheer. But just before the cheer, as you're all huddling up, there's like a moment and I couldn't help myself. I started saying stuff in the moment. Like, you know, we've worked too long and too hard to let this opportunity pass us by. Let's go team. I didn't plan that out. I didn't script it out. I, you know, like, it's just, I can't help myself. And so there were probably moments where that was annoying, right? I'm stealing the, the thunder. What that turned into is sort of like the, the coach just kind of going like, you know what, in your sophomore year, I might as well make you the damn captain because you're, you're not going to keep your mouth shut anyways. Um, so like, you know, kudos to him for maybe recognizing something. So, so I'm a sophomore captain and now I get to be the person that says shit in the huddle. So, it shows up when I teach class sometimes too. Someone will ask a great question and it's a question that has maybe like a bit of an it depends kind of answer. Um, and what's really cool about fitness education is there's science, there's evidence-based, peer-reviewed, historically accurate science. And then there's like, oh, by the way, we work with messy, emotional human beings. And there's a lot to a training relationship that has more to do with person than process, right? So I inevitably have these little passionate soapbox moments um, when I'm educating. And for some people that really clicks and relates and they walk away with their hair on fire and they go do cool shit. And for other people, they're like, yeah, I don't really get it. And that's fine. They're there for the science and they get the education. And they go away happy. Right. So I, I think around the, the question, should you be an educator? You have to want to be like there has to be a little bit of something where that's a little bit of your natural default. And I'm not saying it's not a skill you can learn because you can, but I was having a chat with a peer the other day, great trainer, awesome leader, really cool person, really like does great work helping his clients. Like he checks all the boxes for me on being a great trainer, being a great leader. So we were chatting about whether or not looking at an, op an opportunity in education was what was right for him. And uh, we're, ch we're chatting and he says, you know, am I interested? Yeah. Do I want to give up eight hours of my day to teach a course? No. And I let him keep talking, but I was like, okay, well, that's the answer. Cause it's never felt like give up eight hours on my Saturday to me. It's like, oh my God, in two weeks, I get to go to Edmonton and I get to teach this course and I love being part of the PPSC and I can't fucking wait. It's not a job. It's not a chore. It's not, you know, like, it's like I am living for that weekend and I'm super excited for it and I pack my bag like a week and a half early. So, you know, if you don't recognize that, if you don't feel that, if you're not like excited, bubbly, butterflies, nervous, you know, if it doesn't like consume you a little bit, and you're doing it because you're like, well, I've been doing this for a long time and I'm smart and I think I could make money doing at it. Eh, I don't know, man. Like you do you. But I, I, I really think what makes the PPSC team so great as an example is these are people that are fired up for that weekend and they all have jobs and families and lives and priorities and things that they do. But they it's like, give me the opportunity, not, well, let me see if I can work it in if you pay me enough. So like that for me is a big one. Are you, should you be an educator? Is it going to light you up? 
yes, then go do it. And if not, if it's a chore and I'll do it, if you pay me enough, I don't know, man, I don't, I don't think you have the right mix of educate, entertain and energize that, that makes great educators great. And the way you just described it, I mean, I was thinking Clifton Harsky the entire time about someone who, <clears throat> you know, with passion will give up his weekend. He's got a young family. And my God, how many different certifications has Clifton taught over the last few years? And how many weekends was he traveling in a way? This past year, despite its its horrible shit, must have been a bit of a vacation for him to get, uh, you know, to stay home. The world works in mysterious ways. And then... I think about people in the industry who I, I, I see as great educators, because you're also referencing in-person teaching too. There obviously will be more than just that. We're going to see more and more growth in the online space. And, you know, I, there are certain people, if, if they're coming anywhere near Edmonton or sometimes I'll fly to the U S to see them and then they're going to present them. I want to go see it. Like anything that Mike Isertel does with his team at Renaissance Periodization, they usually come here about once a year. Love it. I'll, I'll jump on it. I love seeing anything that Dean Somerset and Tony Gentilcourt are doing and I had the very good fortune you know reference having you know being the educator within an, uh, a training organization you know the first company I worked for before I went independent for the first six years of my career Dean Somerset was doing a ton of in-house continuing education with that with that company now Dean and I have both since left and now are contractors under a different umbrella organization but I had a, a, a fantastic start to my career with a lot of really good quality in-house education. Not everybody gets access to that. And I think that's probably less common now as fewer trainers start out in these kinds of organizations. So there's more growth opportunity for trainers um, to become educators in the grander space. And then I think about people like Nick Tuminello is another really good guy who loves to teach in person. And I mean, that list goes on and on and on, but I, I'm, I'm passionate about going to these events, exposing yourself to this stuff and then the thing I also love about it too is it's not just about what you're learning, but it's the experience and who you meet and who you get to network with, which is, uh, you know, by going to these events, it indirectly is why you're here with me because I went to Luca Hosevar's uh, Vigor Ground uh, Fitness and Business Summit in 2017. And I met Clifton Harsk and I met John Russell and some of the, the, a lot of other great people in the industry. And those led to relationships that turned into connections. And then all of a sudden here you are presenting here in Edmonton. Yeah. And so to even to touch on that a little bit, I'm going to throw a Tony Robbins out this idea of, of strategy story state. So like, for example, when people come to the gym and they want to hire a trainer very often, especially if they've never worked with one before, very often what they think they're after is a strategy. I need to lose 20 pounds. How do I do it? There's going to be some combination of diet, exercise, whatever. That's a strategy. And we all know that having the right strategy for the person in front of us is really, really important. That's kind of the science, right? So strategy is important. Then there's story. So you can have a person who you hand the ideal strategy, but they can't let go of being who they are. And in this case, maybe it's, I am overweight and tired and I don't have time for myself. So a super great strategy doesn't actually make much of an impact if somebody can't believe in their ability to accomplish the thing they want to accomplish, right? Like I want to be fit and healthy and I want to exercise on a regular basis. I want, I want to be that person, right? So strategy and, and story, we see them in our clients all the time. 
when it comes to education, you can learn strategies online. And in fact, a, a lot of, I mean, I would sort of argue that one of the best ways to learn a strategy is online, like the little drip campaign. I learned this in week one, I learned this in week two, and I can go back and review it anytime I want, like actually having content, right? So that's actually a really great way to learn strategy. But the thing it actually takes to have this overweight, kind of not confident person make the change, right? Learn to disassociate from the story and write a brave new chapter for themselves. It's a change in state. You have to be able to get out of the low energy and the fear and the lack of confidence and the lack of support. You have to be able to get out of that low energy and you have to get up into a higher state of energy. And that's one of the reasons why I do believe exercise is really great for trying to change your life because what it does is it changes your energy. So arguably your workout is not really the thing that helps you achieve weight loss. It's a balance of other things, the workout being a part of that, but damn what the workout does is it as, is it energizes you, right? You're having a bad day. You go work out, you feel better. You're frustrated. You go work out, you get your frustration out. So like changing state is really important when we're trying to change. And so that's what live education is for me. When you're a trainer, especially a busy one, you go hour by hour, by hour, by hour, client by client, by, and you're giving of yourself all the time, a lot. And so at a certain point, you run out of energy, maybe at the end of the day, maybe by the end of the week, maybe at the end of a year, whatever. But if you run out of energy, then really all you're offering is strategy. And it's weird, but that's not really enough to get change and rapport and buy-in and longevity in training relationships. So if as a trainer, if you don't find a way to recharge, re-energize, get re-inspired, then eventually a hard day becomes a hard week, becomes a hard month, and you start looking for something easier. Like, you know what? If I was an accountant, I'd only have to work nine to five. I'd be able to sit in a nice comfy chair. And once tax season's over, I can take a couple weeks vacation. There's nothing wrong with being an accountant. My accountant's awesome. I love them. Helps me out a lot. So we need them too. But listen, being a trainer, if you can't deliver state all the time, like not 100% of your sessions, you're allowed to have a bad day. Well, like if you can't do that, if you don't find ways to manage that, then I don't think you make it. I don't think you achieve the optimum level of success that you could. You don't change lives the same way. You don't grow and experience and develop in your, in your career. So I don't know, challenge me. What's better than live education from a professional perspective um, for, for changing your state, for raising your energy, for re-inspiring you, for reinvigorating you? So for me, education has been super important to just love my job for as long as I have. And I don't think we're at a point yet where we can deliver anything close to that online. If you show up live and you get a big dose of that, and then there's like a once a week online mentorship post thing, whatever, cool. Maybe that extends the, the boost in energy, but like online by itself in terms of education and also in terms of training, it's not the full solution and it's not the full way forward. We want to get smart about using it, leveraging it and creating access where we haven't had it before. But like, man, nothing is going to replace what that live experience is like. Right. Like I think about some of the best experiences in my life. They were live experiences like Coldplay, September of 2019 in Vancouver. 
I will never forget it. And every time I listen to their music, I get chills, not because of the music by itself, but because of that reflection back to that live experience. So like, that's a, that's a big part of what being a great educator is in live education is that, right? It's not just the science, science is cool, but it's that whole extra layer that is really gonna make a big difference. The shirt you can see, but everybody can't because you're only listening, hopefully, um, unless I do eventually ever release these on video on YouTube as, as I was supposed to do, but I haven't gotten around to yet, um, is from a Tool concert in September of 2019. The most memorable in-person experience I could ever describe. I got to see them two nights in a row. And it was especially important considering that the 2020 show was ultimately canceled in Edmonton. So I went, went to Toronto, visit some friends and got to see these, these shows. And just it, it, unbelievable. I still get shivers even thinking about it. So yeah, you're right. There's nothing. I, I pray that you, no one listening here can say that their most memorable life experiences occurred on social media or online in some way, shape or form. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, I have some fond memories of playing World of Warcraft when I was, you know, my what, late 20s, but that doesn't compare to going to a tool concert or, or my the work every day, getting to train my my client, Larry, for example. That's Those are two of the best hours of my week, just getting to hang out with him. Yeah, and I, and I mean, that's what this whole last year has kind of been about, right? Like, uh, I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday on, on my drive home from work, and and one of the things that the guy said at the end was like, you know what, I'm super grateful that we have access to all the things that we do have access to right now. 30 years ago, we had intercontinental travel, but we didn't have the technology to allow us to meet and connect and, and sort of maintain some semblance of the, of the lives that we're used to. So, you know, I don't want to sound ungrateful. Um, social media has connected us and offers benefits that, that are certainly um, really, really important. You know, but we've all just, we've been navigating and we've been figuring it out and we've been making it work and that's admirable. And it takes a lot of passion to sort of find the way to do that. Um, but what we're all sort of missing is that larger than life connection, the thing that you can't create via video, the thing you can't even really create with just a small group of people in a room, right? So I think there's, I think there's a little bit of, of grief and loss over that experience. And hopefully we're, we're moving back in that direction as things sort themselves out. Cause it, it is, that's, that's a big part of the human experience is our ability to connect and create something bigger than ourselves. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's a big element of that in even something like the, the team of PPSC coaches across the world. We're part of something bigger than ourselves, even though a bunch of us will never meet. Um, or the only way we will is, is online. There's still something a little bigger than that. So it's, it's pretty cool. I don't want to lose sight of that as technology becomes better and better and more accessible. Sometimes the easy thing to do is stay in my pajamas and, and turn on the screen, but that's not really where the best moments of my life are going to come from. So we gotta, we gotta keep working back towards, you know, that connection, and that humanity. So something that you sort of said in there, and I'm going to go further in this direction about you know, one of the. I guess, benefits, potential pluses of getting deeper in education is as we spend more time in these careers, I mean, we know that a lot of younger people enter the industry are to some degree transient. A lot of people leave, right? The average trainer doesn't stick around the industry very long. But once you get past a certain point, you realize, all right, this is a, a lifestyle and, and a, and a long-term thing. And I do hope that I'm still coaching on a gym floor into my 70s at the very least, but do I think I can, you know, 
I don't think it's realistic to do the kind of hours I do on a gym floor now. I just turned 43 when, you know, maybe, you know, God, imagine 30 years from now. It's probably unrealistic. So will I want to work the same number of hours I am now overall? Probably not, right? There's a lot of extra stuff that goes into it. But there are opportunities within education that can allow you to work less on the floor, grow income potential, and, and scale it like the, the classic passive income streams. Uh, and it presenting, obviously, is one of the things that works, but just creating educational material in general, and whether that's writing books or, or whatever else, Kevin Mullins has got a book just as an example. You know, John built this course that you guys are all going around and teaching everywhere. So there are opportunities to create long-term additional revenue streams outside of the gym floor hours in education. So uh, any, any thoughts or wisdom on that front? Um, sure. Yeah. I, I'm going to start off by saying I've definitely been given opportunities to educate versus I actively sought them out. So I was having this conversation with a former boss. She's amazing. I have done the absolute best work of my life as her right-hand person. And so she ended up in a different field and is crushing it. And I'm super proud of her, but we were having a conversation about being an executive versus being an entrepreneur and how the lessons from one transferred into the other and how where she is right now feels like it, she's using the most of herself. She's using the best of herself to do this thing. I was asking questions. We were having that conversation. There are people that are like that and you are. And I also think there are people who are not, and that's me. I don't, I don't necessarily want to build my own damn boat, but you know what? I'll get on a boat that I like and that I agree in and, and with, and that's rowing in the direction that I want to go. And man, I will pull my oar hard. So there's a, I think there's a lot in fitness, especially now as we start to see micro gyms and streaming online and like we're seeing a little bit of a step away from this big giant slightly less personable space right like these big commercial gyms we're seeing a little bit of a movement away from that and sometimes what happens is when people move away from that there's almost this like, well, shame on you for staying behind in that place. You know, like you should do your own thing. You should write your own rules. You should be your own person. And I, okay, I get it. But if you're the person who wants to go build your own thing, build your own brand, create a product, step into a space and provide something that doesn't exist. That's awesome. Go do it. But maybe, maybe even when we look at what John's doing, he's doing something really incredible, but he's the first one to admit, hey, I can't do this alone. Like, he's really awesome at shooting texts out on a random afternoon being like, hey, Logan, I really appreciate you. Thanks for being part of the team. Like, I haven't done anything for you that day, but I get a little text. that's like, hey, thanks for being here. I don't think we can make impact in the same way alone, right? So I've been given opportunities to teach and I'm helping facilitate somebody else's vision. And that for me is an amazing place to be. I, I could take all of my energy to create a vision or I could take a, a part of my energy and help facilitate someone's vision, be a part of that effort. And then also have some energy to go do other things, right? 
there are people who invest every moment, every ounce of energy, every dollar they have into a brand or a product. And that's, and that's awesome. Um, you know, but I, I think what's also okay, if you decide maybe to go look at education is like, man, you can be a really great team player on somebody else's team, right? Cliff was for a long time, he taught animal flow and kettlebell and a million other certifications. Um, and I think he probably impacted a lot of people really positively and he built up his network, but he didn't have to be the guy making all the decisions at the top. Arguably, John's still the PPSC guy and Cliff does a ton of really good work. Um, and he's a really great person to have leading the charge in some of the stuff that we're doing. So go build something if you want, but also, you know, like be open to meeting and connecting with people that are like your, your, your vibe. Right. I, I don't have any desire to build my own product, but I love showing up to be supportive of somebody else's efforts. And at the same time, bringing my own thing and my own authenticity and the thing that I have to offer to that team. So, you know, you, you can, you can work for someone else and be yourself. You can be handed an opportunity and take ownership of it. And that for me has certainly been the truth. And it's, I, I'm very aware of it and I'm not trying to change it. I'm super happy to be on the team and pull my damn oar and get somewhere. So that, I think that's a big opportunity in education as well. We don't need a million products. We'd, we'd, be, we'd be benefiting from a thousand really good products taught by a million people, right? And there are tons of examples of people that fit exactly what you just described. You know, yes, Mike Isertel and Nick Shaw have Renaissance periodization, but they have James Hoffman, Melissa Davis, Gabrielle Fundaro, and, and a whole lot more people who are under the Renaissance periodization umbrella and all notable names um, of their own. You have uh, Krista Scott Dixon and Brian St. Pierre, who pretty much built Precision Nutrition under Dr. John Berardi, who by and large had stepped away from that organization a while ago, despite his renown. And God, I mean, you know, you have all the coaches under Stronger You. I, I can just go on and on and cherry, you know, pick examples all over the industry of this sort of thing, right? You got a guy like Mal Patel under examine.com and they're working under someone else's original vision. And in and, and a lot of ways, I think, the thing, I think the thing that's most important about that, and it's a, it's a really big line in the sand for me, I'm not a big line in the sand person, but this is kind of one of those, this, those things where I, where I, where I do that. I have a lot of respect and I, and I feel like I belong to a group of people that say, Hey, this isn't mine. I didn't invent it. I don't own it, but I believe in it. It's worked for me and I want to share it with you. So when we look at fitness education, listen, I've been in this job for a long time. Very, very little of what I do has come from inside my own brain and I own it. And I was the first one to do it. I've learned from a lot of really great trainers and great educators. I've also seen some things where I'm like, mm, I don't think that's going to work for me. So like I've, I've learned by mimicking great things and I've learned by steering away from things that don't work for me. So when we, when we look at education, unlike a business or a brand, you don't really own it. And I, I've, I've bumped into some people who try really hard proprietary knowledge and trademark this. And, you know, if I, I don't want you to teach this to other people, cause it's how I make my living to teach this. And I get it. I do. Cause you should be able to make a living when you're good at something and you're passionate about it, but we don't own human movement. We don't own biological science. We don't own exercise physiology. We just, we get to deliver something that at least for how we understand the world right now is true. 
right? There's also been things from 15 years ago that I literally teach the opposite way now from how I learned it. So I think one of the things about being an educator is, at least for me, you, you serve the body of knowledge. You serve humans. I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit not on board with ownership. And that doesn't mean that you can take content from somebody else and teach it right? Because there's some of that. I, I've, I've seen some of that. I went to, uh, I, I jumped on a Luke Lehman post just because I thought, I mean, he's funny and he writes a lot of um, aggressive comments and I find it sarcastically humorous. So he kind of went on a bit of a rant saying, hey, this guy is literally selling my content and he's charging you a lot of money to teach it and I'm going to call him out. So like, cool, uh, you've done the same thing with some of your social media posts and tweets and whatever. So like, I want to be clear that that's not okay. But also you don't own movement. You don't own science. You get to show up and teach a group of people that are interested in learning from you. And I think at least for me, I'll speak for myself. Um, I'm really happy to be a humble servant of all of us trying to get better. It's not about me. I love that. And so that's, you know, that's something I've experienced. And underpinning all that is a lack of ego, right? And coming into the industry without wearing this giant ego on your sleeve. And I don't know if, if anyone in their interactions in the industry, you get these occasional people who just their ego just screams at you. And how does that make you feel when you interact with someone who just, you can tell their ego is a bit larger than life? Not so great, right? So I don't know. I, I think you can get a lot further in the industry if you have, you know, some genuine humility in how you approach it. Now, you were just talking about, you know, you gave me a quote before we were talking on here, and I wanted to use it and let you run with it. You said, being an educator is being a servant leader. And maybe that was a John Russell quote I think you were, you were sharing, right? So, and I guess this is in the context of knowing the difference in wanting to teach what you know versus what other people are interested in or need to learn. I know you're interested in that topic, so I was going to let you run with what that was all about. So I'll admit, I'm, I love learning, and I'm really terrible at remembering sometimes where it comes from. So if I say something and I don't acknowledge the person I learned it from, it's not intentional. I just, my brain doesn't really work that way. So I don't know exactly where servant leadership comes from. I think I've heard it from a lot of places. We certainly talk about it inside the organization where I work. Um, but it's, I think it's just a concept. So if you're someone who's, who's said it to me and I'm not giving you credit, I apologize. It's not, it's not a, an omission on purpose. But, but servant leadership to me, it's, it's been my experience. Again, if I go back to my very first coach, he gave up a lot of hours of his life uh, to work with me, to work with teams that I played on, to work with athletes. And I don't, I don't know what his job was. I don't know if it was like, this is the salary that you get for 40 hours of coaching week. I don't know, I was a kid. I have a sense that he, he over-delivered. He gave a whole lot more than, than sort of the, the requirement of his position. And I played, I played under him for, call it five or six years before I went off on scholarship to play in the U S and I, I could not have had that opportunity without him. I was a, I was a good athlete. I moved well as talented. I was willing to work hard, but there are skills that you need. There's experience that you need to take you to that next level. And without him, I wouldn't have had access to those skills or that experience. 
so I go off to university and then I go play pro and then I end up in fitness and now I'm here. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here doing all of those things without him. And yet at the point where I am no longer a player for Gordon head soccer association, he, he doesn't make anything off of me. He doesn't get anything from me. I didn't, I didn't pay him to coach me. I didn't give him a cut of my pro salary. Like at the point where I leave Victoria, Hey, thank you so much. You've literally created opportunities for me for the rest of my life. Um, and it, so like, to me, that's servant leadership. He did it cause he cared. He did it because we shared a passion. He saw, he saw something in me that maybe I could go the distance where not everybody who shows up to play, you know, local rec soccer. Um, and I would argue that he probably feels pretty rewarded. Leadership is sometimes when you show up, you're just offering something because you can, not because of what you get. Um, so should you be paid to be an educator? Do I deserve to be able to make a living based on my experience and my, my, you know, when you work with a trainer, you're not paying for the hour, you're training for all the experience and all the things they've learned able to, to be the professional in front of you on that day. But like, I love being in an industry where my passion inspires me to give as much as I possibly can. I don't feel the need to invoice paid hours. And, you know, I was saying on the, on the podcast I did with David Ote, I'm not into work-life balance. I'm into work-life blend. And it's kind of the same thing. I'm a servant leader because I want to be, I get so much out of it. I like being paid for being a fitness ed. I don't, I want, I think you should make enough money that money doesn't stress you out. It's not a thing you have to worry about anymore. And then what you really get out of the thing you do is that you, it fills up a different kind of bank account, right? So that's what being a servant leader is to me. Uh, I, I give and I say yes, and I, and I get involved in a lot of the things that I get involved in just because I want to. And if I get paid for it, awesome. It contributes to the pile of money I make in a year. That means I live my life the way I do. So I'm not saying that, that you should work for free. I'm not saying that, you know, there's lots of chatter about that. Like I, I determine my own value and I'm going to stand for my own value and I'm here for all of that, but it gets, I don't know, it gets a little, it, it's got to feel pretty like a scarcity place to be if, if that's the first question that has to get answered all the time, okay, how much of my time are you going to take and how much am I going to pay? That's a shitty place to say yes from. So a servant leadership mindset is an abundance mindset. There's enough out there for all of us. More people that want to be educators should be educators. And I believe that we can all make an impact and make a living doing what we do. And I think that's just a, that's a better way to approach the world. That's how I choose to anyways. Um, and, and that's sort of, that's, those are my thoughts. I could ramble, but I feel like that's good. <laughs> there's, there's something big with it, what you just said. And I think it's going to be true of almost anybody who has enduring success in our industry. The, the part about not in, not, not thinking in terms of invoicing for every moment, the amount that you give to other people, you know, maybe it's mentorship and other trainers or coaches along the way, or just just sitting and, and talking, interacting with members in your gym and all these little things that no, you don't get paid for. 
but they add up in relationship capital and grace that you build with people that can come back to reward you in ways that are unimaginable. The, the simple effort of sitting down and having dinner with someone at a conference or spending a little bit of time can turn into a relationship that opens doors and career possibilities that you could never imagine down the road. And Lord knows that's happened to me numerous times. So I, I think rooted exactly in abundance versus scarcity mindset. And if you approach your career with an abundance mindset and giving and going above and beyond, I like um, Seth Godin's book, Lynchpin, it's just about being, or Cal Newport's so good they can't ignore you, same sort of principle. If you just go above and beyond to the point where you don't think in terms of, well, I'm only paid at this level, therefore this is the level of effort I'm going to put in. You go above and beyond, someone's going to notice you and then good things are going to start happening to you over and over and over. So let's stop the, the general conversation here because unfortunately I have to go. I have an appointment in a moment. And uh, for anyone listening, I'm hoping that you got a little choppy there for a moment. I was able to hear everything Logan was saying, but uh, hopefully we didn't lose anything along the way there. But uh, we obviously want people to plug into more of what you're doing. So tell them where to find you online. Sure. So uh, the easy, I mean, the easiest place to connect is, uh, is on Instagram. So Logan.3dfit. Um, and then I link almost everything else there. So I write blogs for various things and I teach various programs and I'm involved in a bunch of stuff, but, um, I home it all out of there and there's links and stuff from there. So that's kind of the easiest one. And, and at the moment, uh, I, it's still a manageable number of people. So I answer my DMS and, and so that's a really cool place for me to connect. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say that'd be a, the invitation to join me there. And, uh, obviously I'm. I'm following you. So if someone's looking for you, they could literally go in to see, search through my follow list, search for Logan and, and you're going to pop right up. So um, I appreciate the fact you would take the time. I know you're, Logan's been nice enough to park a car and just sit here and talk, which is probably why we had a little bit of connectivity issues, but uh, it's been great to catch up with you. And I'm excited to see what else you've got coming up. And for everybody else listening, uh, please, uh, Thanks, guys, for being here. I really appreciate it. I've got some more stuff. I've got Savon Fagan coming up for you guys next week. And, uh, you know, it's the same old, you know, share it with someone. Um, make sure you're subscribing if this is the first time you're finding it. Or, you know, if you found it through Logan's Media, well, you can scroll through my other guests. I've had John Russon on recently amongst, I, if you want to go back far enough, we had, I have had Clifton Harsky on here. And actually, I had Kevin Mullins not too long ago. So some of the other PPSC team have all been on here. So if you like that a lot, maybe you'll stick around and check out more of what I've got going on going forward. So thank you so much again and uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. Thanks, Andrew.